Uh, with that said, we're in the middle of a series, on the third week of a series that we've entitled My Offering. And if you missed the past few weeks, it is what it sounds like. We are, as a church, talking about money. Your money. The money that you have in your pockets, the money that you have in your bank accounts, and even the stuff that your money has been buying. That's what the world would tell you. That all of this hard-earned money is yours. You get to decide. You've earned the right to decide what you're going to do with it. But as Christians, God teaches us a different message. God teaches that money and things are temporary. And stewardship, stewardship is the idea. So sorry, as, uh, because our money and our things as te- are temporary, God tells us that we should invest what is temporary into things that are eternal, into things that will last. And the way we shared it two weeks ago is investing this temporary wealth, not in more stuff, but in more stories. And then last week, we talked about the idea of stewardship and what stewardship means. And stewardship is this idea that not only is our money and our stuff temporary, but it doesn't even belong to us. It belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. And as stewards, we are simply entrusted to do what God, the owner, tells us we are to do with it. And so with those ideas in mind that All of the money and wealth and things we have, they're just temporary treasures that God wants us to invest for eternal rewards, and then to realize that even what's temporary doesn't even belong to us. God is the owner, and our task then, in light of those truths, is, well, then what does the owner, what does God want us to do with this temporary wealth? How does he want us to invest it for things that are eternal? What does God want? want. And that's what leads us into today and what we're going to be sharing about this morning. What God wants. That is the next necessary question. Before we do, I want to remind you all that this is an Awakened Q&A series, and that means that during the course of the teaching, if there are any questions, comments, or thoughts that you might have, feel free to text them to awakenqna at gmail.com, and we will make it a point to tackle them at the end of our teaching time. So with that, Let's dive in, and we'll start with a little bit of uh, self-disclosure. So, uh, I don't like being told what to do. It is one of my character flaws. Legit, it is one of my character flaws. And when I say that, I want to be clear about what I mean. I love input. Uh, I love when people speak into my life. I love being critiqued. I love areas where, hey, Frank, I'd love to challenge you to grow. I'd love to challenge you to consider. That type of stuff I really enjoy. I am open to feedback, um, and I love it. I love when people care enough to speak into my life. I love listening to people. Um, I think I'm a pretty good one. I love having people share with me, and I love the opportunity where that's reciprocal as well. I enjoy interacting and engaging with people. I enjoy getting feedback, receiving input. I just don't like being told what to do. I also didn't grow up in church. Uh, I didn't become a Christian until I was 16 years old. And so I got involved in the church as a young adult, not as a kid. 
and as a young adult, being involved in church and then being taught this idea of finances and that it all belongs to God and being taught about the idea of the tithe, that was really a novel idea, right? And for those of you who aren't as familiar with the idea of the tithe, the tithe is basically this biblical idea that the first 10% of everything we make belongs to God and is to be given to God first, our best and our first. And my response is, okay, first of all, what in the world does God need my 10% for? It's not like there's anything on earth that he's going to spend it on, right? So why does God need my money? That was the part that didn't make a lot of sense to me. And the second question was, or the second issue I had with it is, okay, fine, even if I accept that God wants that 10%, it's not even going to him. It's going to the church. And when it goes to the church, Sometimes they spend it on things that I don't even know if I would want them to spend it on. So what is the point then? I just did not understand the tithe, right? And more than that, I just didn't like, wait for it, being told that this was what I was supposed to do as a Christian, right? Being told that this was what was expected of me and what God wanted of me. So when I was taught that uh, when God looks at our finances and all of the things that we have, it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. And I'm like, that's fine. I can get that. But it really feels like it belongs to me at times. And I want it to at times. And then this idea of the tithe, I struggled with it. Because I can understand some of the other principles that God teaches when we talk about this idea of what God wants, right? I know God wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That makes sense, doesn't it? Of course it makes sense because God wants a relationship with us. And if he wants a relationship with us and he loves us that way, then of course he would want us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love him the way he loves us. That makes sense sense. So yes, I can't do it perfectly, but I will strive to love you, Lord, with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I know that God wants us to love our neighbors as Jesus loves us. That makes sense too, doesn't it? Because we represent Christ to the world. The testimony of our lives, the, the way we live our lives, the way we love people might be the closest people our neighbors uh, ever come to experiencing God and God's love. And so, yes, that makes sense, that we're to love our neighbors as Christ loves us. So, of course, I'm willing to do that to the best of my ability. But what does God want regarding our finances? That was where I struggled. Giving God the first 10% of everything I earned, that didn't make sense. And so I share that with you because maybe some of you can understand what that feels like. Maybe some of you can relate to that feeling. And if so, what I wanted to do uh, in the beginning part of this time this morning is to give you a condensed version of the journey that God took me through to help me see that idea differently. And we're going to start in the book of Genesis chapter 14. So Genesis chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, I will have the passage up on the PowerPoint as well. Uh, or uh, So yeah, so if you don't get a chance to look it up or you didn't bring your Bibles to church, really? Come on. So anyway, that's uh, what we'll do. Genesis chapter 14 is following the story of Abram. Uh, this is before he got renamed Abraham, father of nations, father of the, the nation of Israel. And, and so it's following the story of Abram. And Abram has uh, been approached by God and, says, and been told, I want to take you, Abram. You'll be a father of nations, and I want to take you to a land I will show you, a land that I will give you, not just give you, but give to your family and to your future family, all of your future families, right, all of your descendants. This land will be yours, but you need to get up 
and you need to go and follow me where I'm going to lead you. And so Abraham obeys. He gets up, takes the step of faith, follows after God, and he enters into Canaan. And as he enters into the land, before he gets an opportunity to settle in the land, there is this huge war that breaks out. And it, believe it or not, it's a war that involves nine different kings and nine different armies. And some of them make ally alliances and others make alliances. But nine different kings are fighting. And in the middle of this battle, so when Abram left, he took his wife, Sarah, he took his nephew, Lot, and a number of servants and all of their possessions and everything they had, and they went. Well, when they got in the land, before they settled, and there's this war going on, one of the kings takes his nephew, Lot, captive. And when Abraham finds out about it, that not only was Lot taken captive, but his women, his possessions, his servants, his things, everything was taken Abram decided to go after him, and so he gathers 318 of his trained men and goes on this covert operation to rescue them, and he does so, and he rescues them, and he's bringing them all back to their home, and along the way, on their way home, on their way back from this vic a tremendous victory, a great man comes out to meet them in a place called the King's Valley. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Genesis chapter 14, starting in verse 18. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Who is Melchizedek? No one really knows for sure. Uh, but it is clear, one of the things that the scriptures make clear is that he is both king and priest. And he pops up a couple times in the scriptures as well. And even in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, talks about how Jesus is a king and priest in the line of Melchizedek. So this guy is a great man. And when Melchizedek comes out to meet Abram on the way back from this, on the journey back from this victory, he brings him bread, he brings him wine, and then gives him a blessing. And I don't know about you, but typically when I think about receiving a blessing, it's typically the greater giving the lesser a blessing. And so it doesn't indicate why. It doesn't indicate his relationship, if they've ever met before. But Abram's response is striking. Abram tithes. He gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything he had recovered. And what makes this story really, really interesting is Abram ties to Melchizedek before the tithe ever existed. There is no law. The law isn't written until 400 years later. The people that the law were going to, was going to apply to aren't even born yet because Abram is the one that starts that whole birthing descendant line. Abram ties not because he's under compulsion by law, because the law doesn't exist yet. He does it from his heart. And that was a striking idea, that here's Abram receiving a blessing from this man of God, and he chooses voluntarily to give this tithe. For him, it's an act of honor, it's an act of thanksgiving, it's an act of gratefulness. And so when it comes to this first question that I was wrestling with, right, why does God need my 10%, the answer is obvious, he doesn't. But what God does want is my worship. 
And my worship is not simply about songs I sing or prayers I pray or, or words of God that I read. Worship encompasses every part of who we are and basically saying that every part, no matter what part it is, God is yours, is dedicated to you. And that includes what I make, my things, my possessions, and all of that as well. The act of tithing was born out of worship, and it remains that first and foremost even today. So that idea rocked my world. This idea that the tithe is not born out of obligation, it's born out of worship. But that's not where the lesson ends, right? That was just the beginning. So the first issue I had, why does God need my 10%? Ironically, coolly enough, God coolly, is that a word? Cool, awesome. Anyway, uh, he, he gives us that answer in the book of Genesis. And then the answer to the second question was actually given in the last book of the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, right? Because the other problem that I had was that the tithe, even if I wanted to give it to God, it's not necessarily going to God. It's going to the church. And when it goes to the church, sometimes the church is not spending it on things that I think it should be spending that money on. And so here it is in the midst of the book of Malachi that God tackles that second issue that I had. And starting in chapter 3, verse 8, here's where we'll dive in. Uh, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean, God? When did we ever cheat you? You cheated me out of the tithes and offerings due to me. You were under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. So in this chapter of the book of Malachi, God has been preaching and teaching on judgment. Right? He is judging his people, and one of the reasons why he is judging his people is that they've been stealing from him. They are cheating him, and this is something the entire nation is doing, not just this person here or this pocket here, but it is common. Right, The nation was doing this. They were stealing and cheating God, or stealing from and cheating God, and they are not tithing. Right? That's how they're stealing and cheating from God. And so God tells them, this is how I want you to rectify that situation. Uh, verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from the insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So God tells his people that here's how to rectify this situation, right? You're stealing, you're defiant, you're not tithing. I want you to bring your tithe. Be faithful now and bring it into the storehouse. So uh, part of the reason for storehouses in this time, for most of them, because it was mostly an agricultural culture, they, most of their tithes were not in, um, in coins or dollar bills. It was in grain offerings, right? It was in, in the pro, what was produced from their crops. And so the storehouse was the place in the temple that stored it. And so they were bringing the best and first tenth of what they had and bringing it to the storehouse. The idea that God is sharing here is bring your tithes to the place where you worship me. That's 
the idea. Bring your tithes to where God's people worship God. In the Old Testament, that was the temple. In the New Testament, that is the local church. And if you do this, if you do this, I want you to watch what I'm going to do, says the Lord. Very rarely in the scriptures does God ever say, put me to the test. But he says, in this, you can put me to the test. Give faithfully and see how I will bless you. Test me with your faithful tithe and see how wide and big God's blessings will be towards you. So anyways, for me, going through this passage, this one made it clear, right? God designates his tithe to be given to the local church. And if that's what God wants, if God wants his temporary money to be given to the local church, to be used for eternal purposes, then who am I to disagree, right? So even though for me, I'm like, God, you don't need this money. You don't need this 10%, but you want me to give it as an act of worship. And then, God, if it's really yours and you tell me to give it to the church, then who am I to disobey? If that's what you want to do with your temporary money, fine, right? And so that's where God took me. That's a little condensed version. It wasn't something that happened in a week. It wasn't something that happened in a couple weeks. This is over the course of years. God really retrained my mind and retrained my thoughts on this. It's funny. I went through uh, this teaching with my wife last night, and, uh, and I'm like, do you remember how resistant I was to the tithe in the beginning? She's like, yeah. And Frank, you were the ones that start, one of the ones that started this church thing. You should be faithful. I'm like, I know. So my bad. Anyway, so this is an area, this is a journey. It took a while for God to really iron out in me. And so here's why I'm sharing this with you, right? This is what I needed to be convinced. These are some of the ideas I needed to hear, but, and maybe they helped you, and maybe they didn't, and that's okay, because it's really not the point, right? To be honest, the tithe issue is not really the point, and they don't even answer the question that we came in this morning wanting to answer. You remember what that question is? What does God want from you specifically in this area of money. What does God want from you? And the answer is it isn't your tithe. The answer is the same that it's always been, the same answer that's been from the very beginning. God wants you, all of you, right? He wants every part of you. That is what God wants. And the tithe The tithe is just one of God's ways of testing whether or not he does. Of testing whether or not he has all of you. Look, do you really imagine any of us in here that God needs 10% of our money? Of course God doesn't need 10% of our money. The only reason why God wants 10% of our money is because he wants 100% of you. Maybe that didn't click, right? So I'll come at it another direction. The only reason God is interested in your money is because you are. That's the only reason why God cares. God is interested in your money because you are. The amount you make, what you have, the things you have, the things you spend it on, they are important to you. And if we're going to be perfectly honest, for some of us in this room, it's more important to us than it should be. And that's why God has given us the tithe, not as an act of obedience, but as an act of worship, because God understands, and what he wants us to understand with this idea of the tithe is that if we consistently give from our finances to God, 
our first and our best, then we can be confident that money and things don't rule over us. In the Gospels, Jesus shares this idea this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. God is pointing out, Jesus in this passage is pointing out this very interesting parallel, right? That your treasure, where your treasure is, and always treasure is the thing that's most important to us, is reflected, right? Is reflected in where uh, the desires of your heart are. And if your desire is first and foremost in God, then your desire will be always, right, to give him your first and best. But if your desires are for yourself, or it's for money, or it's for things, that's going to be revealed as well. God doesn't need your 10%. God wants it, because he knows that if you give it faithfully and cheerfully, then you're not enslaved to it. And that type of freedom is what God wants you to experience in him. So, you know, uh, when my kids were younger, I used to really enjoy taking them out and getting them little treats. Um, I still enjoy doing that today, but since they're older, it doesn't make for as good a story. So we're just going to start with when they were younger, right? So when they were really young, I used to enjoy taking them out. It could be anything. It could be getting French fries, or it could be getting ice cream or a cookie. And I just used to enjoy taking them out and giving them treats, because that's just what good parents do, I suppose. Um, and so... Uh, one of the things that we used to do, or I used to do, is, is when I take them out, uh, every once in a while, after getting them a treat, I would steal a french fry, or take a french fry, steal whatever. I'd just grab a french fry, I'd, I'd get a little taste of their ice cream, I'd take a little bite of their cookies, sometimes I'd joke with them and say, that's the dad tax, you know? So anyway, i just kind of take it. And you understand the reason why I did that isn't because I couldn't afford to get myself some fries, or get myself another ice cream, or get myself another cookie. The point is, Every once in a while, I just wanted to test them to see where their hearts were, right? And most of the time, it was so cool. Our kids were so good. They're like, here, Daddy, you can have another one. Do you want more? And I'm like, yes, that would be amazing. But every once in a while, every once in a while, they'd be like, what, Dad? You know, and they try to take it away. They try to hide it. And they're like, Daddy, this is mine. And in my mind, I'm like, sweetheart or son, you know, whichever one <laughs> I'm talking to. It's like, no, daddy bought it. I, why did you think it's yours? And so, and you understand that the reason for my doing that wasn't necessarily because I couldn't afford my own snack, couldn't afford my own treat. It's because I wanted to test their hearts. I wanted to know that they were thankful. I wanted to know that they weren't feeling entitled, that they weren't starting to think that the things that were given to them all of a sudden belongs to them and they didn't have to share it with anyone else. That's what I wanted to build into my kids. And so this little dad tax was just a fun, playful way of checking their hearts. Maybe that's a weird way to be thinking about this idea of the tithe and giving and how God wants, what he wants to do with our finances. Because, but maybe it fits, right? Maybe that helps connect. Because again, I didn't need a bite of their cookie. I didn't need the fry. I could go buy, you know, a freaking whole meal if I wanted to. Did I say that word? Sorry, my bad. I could go buy a whole, you know, McDonald's Big Mac meal if I wanted to. That wasn't 
the issue. I simply wanted to know that their hearts were bent towards me. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best parts of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. If you can understand the analogy, maybe because you're a dad, you know, maybe even because you're a granddad, or maybe you're not a dad or granddad, but you have a dad or have a mom who provides and takes care for you. If you can understand that, right, the idea that we want to give, good parents want to give their kids good things, but we don't want them to take it for granted. And even though we want to give our kids good things, we want them thankful. We don't want them uh, entitled. And if that concept clicks with you, then you can understand the same way when God is going through even the idea of the tithe and giving and, and giving to needs. The, the point of what God is communicating to us is not that God needs your money or wants your money so that he can benefit or prosper in some way, shape, or form. He just wants to make sure you're not feeling entitled. He just wants a little reminder that says, hey, just don't forget that everything you have comes from me. And I want your hearts to be in tune with mine and to realize that the things I want you to invest in will always be for your best. And I want you to give yourself to those things. In a few minutes, we're going to wrap up our time with Awakened Q&A. And so if there's anything that you've heard this morning that provokes you, that bothers you, that you have questions about, feel free to text, text those questions, comments, or thoughts to awakenedqna at gmail.com. And I'll tackle them in just a few minutes. I'm actually excited about hearing what you have. Um, and as you're doing that, I want to wrap up with a couple of thoughts, right? Um, God wants you. He wants all of you. And if you've missed everything else this morning, I don't want you to miss that. God wants you first and foremost. That's what he desires, this relationship with you. Tithing, not tithing, it's really, honestly, not the most important thing in the world. The world is going to go on if you don't tithe. You're still going to be a Christian if you don't tithe. You know, the church is going to move on and move forward if you don't tithe. Tithing and giving your money and your stuff, God puts it there so that you can have this consistent heart check. Right? It's there for your benefit as much as it is for God's. Right? Your benefit to say, okay, Lord, is my heart really bent towards you first, or is there something else that's competing for it? And if I can give freely and cheerfully, then I know that you are my foremost desire, right? It's a gut check. It's a reminder for you to see what God desires is most important. Not your money, not your stuff, but your heart. In the book of 2 Corinthians, um, the Apostle Paul, who writes that letter, does something very interesting. He writes this church at Corinth about this other group of churches that he says are being faithful with their money, being faithful, and they have the type of hearts that church at Corinth, I want you to have regarding this area of money. And I thought it'd be really fitting for us to close with that passage to see what the Apostle Paul writes to this church at Corinth about this other group of churches that are doing, that are being faithful in ways that Paul affirms. And so here's what he shares in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, this is writing to the church at Corinth, 
what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So these other churches, this is what they're doing. They are being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor. But they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. Isn't that a beautiful passage? Paul's like, hey, look, I know you guys, you're trying to be faithful, and you got some sin issues, some areas that we need to work through, and one of the ways I want to encourage you is by showing you this other group of churches. They're not perfect either, but in this area, they get it. They're poor, they don't have a lot, but their first desire and their first response is, how can we give even more with joy, with exuberance to the Lord and to the things that the Lord is doing? That was their attitude. That was their spirit. And church, I want you to be encouraged by their example and also to be challenged by it. That's what Paul was saying to this church at Corinth. And I think that's a lesson that we can learn here as well. Amen? Amen. All right, let's tackle some Q&A. I'm excited. Dun, dun, dun. I like your analogy about the dad tax. That's cool. Maybe I'll patent it. Like, so anyway, I appreciate how intentional you are in the little moments of parenting. But honestly, sometimes I just want the fry. I know, me too. <laughs> me too. So I'm not going to lie. I made that story sound a little bit more glamorous. But sometimes I just really wanted the French fry, right? Sometimes I just really wanted to take a bite. And sorry, kid. It was a little tempting watching you eat it over there. So I appreciate the honesty there, and we all get it. We all get it. And I think there's nothing really wrong with that in little bits, right? Just at the end of the day, who has our heart? Is it God or is it money and things? So um, I understand the premise of giving God our first and best. How can we do that when we are excessively poor? Is it okay to give less than 10% so we can pay our bills? Or are we supposed to give the whole amount and trust that the rest will come? How can I have faith and give but also be responsible? Wow, that is a great question. So um, before I answer, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to say, I, if I'm going to be perfectly honest with you all, right, I do believe in the tithe. And as your pastor, I definitely want to encourage you to be obedient, right? So be obedient in the tithe. At the same time, for me personally, right, it's like it's one of those areas of obedience that's really, really good for us. It really is important. But, man, there's so many more important things that I want to make sure you don't miss. So please don't get trapped in this idea of finances because that's not the most important thing to God, right? Uh, that being said, my response to this question, right, that if we're excessively poor, is it okay to give less than 10% to pay our bills? I'd say at the end of the day, of course it's okay. I don't think you're necessarily sinning and not giving a full tithe, right? But I will say this, that here's where I would want to challenge and push back a little bit. Um, who are you trusting to pay your bills? Right? 
Who are you trusting to cover all of, your, all of the expenses you have? Are you trusting the Lord or are you trusting in your own capacity, right? So I'll give you a little analogy. If I were, if you're like, hey, I'm $500 short this month on my bills and, and we had Siva come up to you and Siva says, hey, hey, hey I heard that you were $500 short. Hey, w- is it okay? If, I'd love to help you out. Would you trust me to help you out? What would we say? Uh, yeah, please, thank you, right? And so my response would be, if we would trust Siva to help us out when we come up short, right, then why would we not trust the Lord? I mean, that's that, it just, I think at the end of the day, what's most important is where our heart is and how much we trust and who we trust to provide. So um, if that, if for you, it's like, I'm really trying, but this month, all I have enough faith for is 5%, then I'm like, give 5% then, right? And praise the Lord. Don't regret that. Don't be like, kicking yourself about that. If that's how much faith you have, then exercise that faith, right? God is not asking for more than that necessarily. All of tithing is an act of faith. All of giving is an act of faith. So uh, that's, that would be my response. I don't know if that came across super clear. I'd say at the end of the day, I think what's most important is where your heart is, and then give according to as much faith as you have in the moment, and pray that God will give you more. Uh, is it biblical to use our tithes for specific needs in the church, i.e. a family in need or supporting a mission trip? So, so yeah, so the question, if I understand it, that's a good one. The idea is, okay, if I'm giving the tithe, if I'm giving a 10%, say, would you say, if I'm giving $1,000, uh, is it okay, Lord, uh, or is it okay, Frank, to be able to say, I'd like for that to be designated to the Dominican Republic? Is there anything wrong with that idea? And so um, my response would be, be this, right? And I'll start taking a step back again. Uh, one of the things our family does and has done for a number of years is we distinguish between the tithe and our giving, right? For us, the tithe is what we owe God, right? It, it belongs to God. It's not, I mean, it's just his. So uh, we, we don't get a say in what we do with the tithe. God requires it or God wants it from us. And so we give that first. And then giving is what we do on top of the tithe to whatever needs and passions and burdens that we might have, right? So there's certain missionaries that we're excited about what they do. We want to support that. We have a, a child in compassion that we've supported for like seven years now. And uh, he's He's in the Dominican Republic, and we're excited about being a part of helping support him and his family. We support other missionaries, other pastors who are doing uh, other mission work, we some, uh, and even different ministry opportunities here in Jacksonville in the church, da, 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 on and on, right? But we distinguish between the tithe and giving. And so my response would be in this one that if we were presented with this dilemma, our thought would be, well, we give the tithe to God first because that's his, and then we would find a way to be able to give on top of the tithe to those areas of need. That would be how we would see it, uh, our family would see it as the most biblical way to go about it. Here's the other problem that I have with the idea that why can't we go ahead and designate our tithe to go towards causes that we're really burdened by? And the reason is, well, if you want to give to things that you're really burdened by, why are you taking God's money to do it instead of the money he's entrusted to you? Right? That doesn't make sense. You're taking it from God's pool of tithe rather than the pool that he's entrusted you to live off of, right? If it really is a burden, sacrifice and give, right? But this is the Lord's, and that's kind of how we would tend to look at it. So, um, yeah, if that helps, fantastic. If, if it's like, well, that didn't really tackle the question, feel free to grab me afterwards, and, and we'll talk about it. But generally, I'd say as a practice, right, uh, the, the tithe is not something that we give and designate it for something specific. That's just not typically how we understand it. I spent a long time thinking I owed God back pay for all the time I've been unfaithful for giving. It kept me from giving at all. Obviously, that's not true, as Frank said. Thanks. I, I was hoping you didn't miss that. 
Uh, God doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. He already forgave our sin. He wants our faithfulness now. Amen. I want to thank you for sharing that. That was about as well shared as I can think of it. So that's cool. Let me tackle one more, and then um, we'll move on uh, and close up. Should you tithe off monetary gifts that you're giving? Should you tithe off monetary gifts that you're giving? Oh, uh, yeah. So the question is, should, so I know I tithe off of income, whatever is earned. So if my grandmom gives me 100 bucks for my birthday, should I tithe off of that? Um, so I'd say this is a gray area. There's a lot of flexibility here. So I'll just share what we told our kids, right? What we told our kids is, no, that's okay. That gifts are given, freely given, freely offered, and therefore just receive it and enjoy it, right? Um, the idea of the tithe is the things that we earn, the things that we work towards and think are ours, we give back to God. But uh, even the gift of salvation, right? Freely given, freely offered. I think in many ways, just even monetary gifts that we get from family, friends, whatever, that if you want to, fantastic. Feel free to do so. You're certainly free to. But uh, we've told our, our kids and our family that if it's, it's a gift, it's freely given, enjoy it. You know, don't go crazy. And there is still a dad tax, but no, I'm just kidding. So anyway... <laughs> We'll wrap up with a word of prayer, and then uh, Larry will close us out with announcements. Lord, thank you so much for this time, for this morning, for the opportunity and privilege to be able to talk about an awkward topic, the topic of money and even specifically tithing, and just to be able to walk through it in a way that we pray honors and pleases you, Lord Jesus. And I thank you, God, for this time to be able to just even share and emphasize that the issue is not the amount of money we give, not the percentage of money. The issue is that you want us first and foremost. You're excited about a relationship with us, and you want all of us, and you want us to make sure that our hearts are devoted to you fully and first. And if the tithe is one of the ways to consistently test that, to remind us of that, then let us be obedient and respond the way you want us to, God. We don't ever want to get trapped or held up and, and start thinking that things are more important than you. Um, and we never want to put our desires before yours. And I pray that from that posture of humility and thankfulness and desire to honor you, God, that everything that we do would come as a result of that heart and that burden and that passion, Lord. We love you so much. We're so thankful, and we want to give you our first and best. And some, for some of us, 10% doesn't even reflect that, right? That's not enough, that we want to give you even more. And, and God, you are worthy of everything that we have, everything that we are, and I pray that as saints, we would give that to you always. In Jesus' name, amen.